It's, it sounded good preaching it. It's something else to live it, you know. Uh, within maybe 24, 36 hours, there was some very clear door closing going on. Wow. The word is true. The word is true. So I don't know how your journey was this week with that, closed doors. Do, do we dare pray for that? God, if this isn't it, close the door. If there's something else, open the door. It's how God worked with Paul. It's how God works with us. We're coming to the end of our journey to the book of Acts. So this Sunday is a little odd. We've got a lot going on this Sunday. We've got a lot going on. We're going to have communion later as a community. Kind of a way to wrap up the series together. Prepare our hearts for the coming Messiah, right? Remembering the journey, remembering, you know, the seasonal thing we follow, right? With Christmas, Advent, Easter. Every year we remember it all again. That's right, Jesus came. Do you remember that? Do you remember when Jesus came? So cool. These cycles we follow. So, so we're kind of wrapping up the series today. But we also got to talk about this book of Acts because we got some great texts today to read together. So I just, I just, you know, pray that today, wherever you are, wherever your heart is today, that you could be attentive, attuned to the living God. Like Lydia last week, right? That your heart would be cut open by the living God, that you might hear the truth of his word. Not proclaimed by me, proclaimed by him. We talk about it all the time. I hope that all of you did get your very own, their very inexpensive engagement sheet. There's something that happens. There's something that's, you know, I'll tell you one thing that's funny about church life these days is we don't have much time that's uninterrupted in our lives. I think just by being here for an hour, hour and a half, it's an unusual practice in our culture. Who has time for this? No, wait a minute, wait a minute. You mean to tell me you guys sit around and think about God? You mean you guys sit around and, and, and uh, you know, someone said donut hole church? You know, you, you come in and have some donut holes? If you get here late, they're probably gone. But there's donut holes here every Sunday. If you want to come early and get some donut holes. You guys break bread together. Who has time for that anymore? Something inherently countercultural about who we are as Christians. And it's funny because today is we're going to talk culture a little bit, Right? But, but I was listening to NPR, and I know some of you go, oh, NPR, and I know it's a total nerd thing to do, but man, I just love talk radio. I love preaching. I love talk radio. I love it. Can't help it. I'm like an addict, you know? And so uh, I was listening to NPR, and they were talking about um, language of the culture, right? And, and, and the NPR does have this way of doing something like, no matter how dumb it is, they make it sound so important. Have you noticed? It's, it's that you can hear their breaths when they speak. There's something about the engagement. They're so engaged in the conversation. There's something. And they were talking to this guy about a book he'd written. They are talking about a book this guy had written, I should say, David Crystal. And it's called, uh, new, uh, it's a new book called Texting, The Great Debate. And um, it, it's this idea of linguistic studies, right? There's this idea that in our culture now, there's a whole new language that's being formed, and what happens invariably, and I even had some conversations this morning already about texting, and, and people were correcting me about, I don't know, people don't say that, or people don't do this, or, you know, whatever. Uh, but there is something happening that language is being reinvented, so much so that these, these kind of scholars who probably, are, you know, had nothing better to do <laughs> are thinking about what's going on there. It's a whole new language. And other people are going, nah, it's kids, right? How many of you text? Yeah, look at that. See, it's not kids. It's everybody. I want to tell you something as a parent. If you're a parent, I've had parents tell me, I don't have texting, right? And Nathan would be like, come on, Dad, get texting, right? I don't have texting. But I've heard that parents have some of the best conversations with their kids via text. I know when I used to teach Sunday school, the kids would sit in the room and text each other. In the room. That's okay. They thought they were offending me. I said, God can use it. God can use that too. I'm not afraid of that. So he has this thing, the great debate, right? And so I thought to get started today, to get primed a little bit about this text we're going to look at. The Apostle Paul, we're talking 2,000 years ago, right? But there's this kind of relevancy to what's going on. And so I thought we'd take a little quiz together. You guys want a quiz? Pop quiz? Oh, yeah. That's the kind of eagerness I like right there. Yeah. He's like bring it on guy too, aren't you? You're like, Psh. yeah, watch this. So we got, we got these uh, acronyms, right? I'm, I'm, here's the official title of this. It's the chat and text messaging abbreviation quiz. I made it up. Okay. And so here, let's watch. Uh, let's pull that first slide up here. So if you know what this is, you can just say it. And, yeah. Okay. 
You guys know it. Lots of love. There you go, brother. Reinterpret it. I like it. All right. And so, there, let's go ahead. Yeah. <gasps> what? I heard a lot of shh. Oh, my. I think it really means, oh, my God. People say it means, oh, my gosh. But, you know, it's, I mean, even we're going, oh, my gosh. You're doing some corrective teaching there, okay? <laughs> let's see the next. These, these we're going to get harder, by the way. You guys see these are easy. Everybody knows these. Everybody knows them. Let's see the next one. I just wanted to put that in there because, you know, some of this stuff started before texting started, I hate to tell you. You know, I, I know you, that everything's new and different and changed, but this has been around for a while, by the way, right? Uh, this one, too. Thank God it's Friday. That one we can say God, right? Not thank gosh it's Friday. Hit that next one. Let's see it. We got a bunch of these. Keep going. See, so you guys are going, these aren't even text things, man. Yeah, that's before text. Psh. I was doing that back in the 60s. Yep. FYI. See, no, wait a minute. See, you guys are all ahead. Hang on one second. Now, he just said something that's interesting because what's bugging some people who are linguists is not that this texting has happened on phones where you only have like nine digits and you got to like, who can do that? I know you guys can. Right? Like, like me? <laughs> uh, I have the whole QWERTY keyboard because that's how, I, how bad I am. I have to have the QWERTY and I don't even have texting, but the language becomes verbal. We don't say FYI in a letter only or memo. Rick just said FYI. You go, so what? But someone said to me in a conversation, LOL. Are you kidding me? You can just laugh. You're right here. Just go ahead. <laughs> you know, it's okay with me. So, but there's something that's happening with the language. Yeah, thanks. We got that one already. Let's go ahead to the next one. Yep, good, good. Now, this one's not quiet. Yeah. And actually, I thought this is, see, now I'm a, I'm a computer guy, so frequently asked questions is something that we started to say, but this actually means frequently asked question. And they say it's used in, now, somebody said this never used, and I agree. I've never seen it used in chat or anything else. I am nothing. But if you ask a question a lot, that's a fact. Whatever. You know, I think it's a list on a website myself. Oh, wait a minute. You guys are slowing down on me. I-M-O. It's emos, yeah. It's also related to, to I, the more politically correct I-M-H-O, which is in my humble opinion. Let's go to the next one. See, they're going to get harder. I can, I can feel it coming. Yeah, now somebody said they never use that. Do you ever use that? Does anyone here ever use this? Thank you. Okay, so it's been used. Okay, because somebody said something that's never even used. Go ahead. Aww. It's less than three, isn't it? <laughs> okay. <laughs> now I'm going to teach you all something here. Who, know, who knows what this right here means? Now, this and this is the same thing. What's this mean? Yeah, okay. See, I'm going to let a little bit of, of my nerd show here because I used to do programming language. This is or, right? That means or. So anyway, so there's something for you. You can text bars to your friends now. No problem. Good. Oh, look, they're getting harder. Hmm. No. You guys are stumped already? I can't believe it. This means away from keyboard. Yeah. And you usually only do it if you're like chatting with somebody, you're like, and you walk off. Go ahead. Yeah, that's true. You guys have stopped leaving. <laughs> Good job. See, I didn't know that one. I hadn't. That was good to me. Oh, I gotta get my notes out now. <laughs> Give me a break. Yeah! <laughs> Give me a break. I'm out of gas on this thing already. Let's see. Yeah. Oh, there it is. I gave it away. This is, the, this is what we should really be saying, in my humble opinion, right? Ta ta for now. <laughs> go, go, Packers. We're just making stuff up now. Anybody know? This, this, means, this is something else you do when you're AW, huh? This is something else you do when you're AFK. You gotta go potty. <laughs> Real on the floor laughing. This is nuts. Okay, here we go. They're getting harder. They're getting harder. <gasps> what? You might know this one. Did somebody say it? Your mama. No. Your mileage, 
may vary. Isn't that funny, right? I know. You have to, you, they're, they're getting nerdier. I'm just here to tell you. This all started with nerds, you understand? What's this? Man, I didn't know that one either. See, if, I, if somebody texts me, I have to ask the question. <laughs> I hadn't heard this one before either. No? Go, sure. Good morning to all. No, <laughs> that's what I'm saying to you. Oh, wait a minute. Slow down. We're ahead. It's, uh, it's um, uh, great minds think alike. Yeah. Yeah. Who uses that? Hmm. Look at this one. This one I like, actually. This is what... <laughs> now we're making up our own jokes. <laughs> you can hear some, some scuttle. I am not a lawyer. I am not a lawyer. I don't know. I'm anal. <laughs> no. <laughs> Holy cow. Look. Now see, I had to do something else. By the time you start typing so many letters, you may as well just say what you mean. What? I would not. If I'm going to tell somebody something from the bottom of my heart, I'm just going to say it. That's from the bottom of my heart. A couple more. A couple more. Ooh. Ooh. Who can get this? Yes? No. It's a takeoff of WYSIWYG. Who knows what WYSIWYG is? There, thank you. Yes. Karen knows. Now, wait a minute. Look at here, the youth. What's WYSIWYG mean? Ah, it's actually a technology. It's a term that kind of means, I've seen it most in like desktop production. What you see is what you get. And this means what you see is totally worthless in real life. Because if you ever done any graphic design, it is nothing like what you get. It's nothing like it. And then, oh, there's WYSIWYG. Push on past it. I hate acronyms. Yeah. Isn't it funny how some, some of us knew more, some of us knew less, right? Some, I mean, it, it's, it's, it's interesting. And you think it's generational, but it's really not. Some of the stuff's been floating around for a while. Floating around for a while. And um, there's this idea that we, uh, we can become kind of, uh, we can, uh, what is it about? Is it about inclusion? Is it about exclusion? Is it about, you know, something you and I know, you know? Uh, or, or is it about being left out? It can be about all those things sometimes, can't it? The culture. Sometimes you're in, and man, that feels good, right? Because you know. Sometimes you're like, I, can't, I don't know what this means. What is this internet? <laughs> you know? And then you're left out. That may not feel so good. Do you ever feel lost? Maybe, maybe you're, you're young and hip, and you go, I knew all those. You know? Or maybe you're, maybe you're older and hip, and you're like, I really knew all those, which is pretty cool too. But have you ever felt completely lost? You ever been in a conversation, and you don't have a part in the conversation? Unable to relate? to the conversation in the room. See, sometimes we think this is like adult to youth, right? Oh, your parents are so naive. You know, the old people don't get it, man. I started looking at, you know, these things have been around, this reinventing the language has been around forever, forever, right? And, and I went back and I went to the, because I was a child of the 80s. So I went back to the 80s slang. And I'm like, yeah, I remember some of those. They were so cool. And the parents didn't understand, which made it better, you know? And then I went back to the 70s, because I was a child of the 70s, too, I hate to tell you. And, but I remember most of those. And then went back to the 60s, and I saw stuff that we're still using. I went back to the 50s, and I saw things we're still using. I could still communicate to you in 2010, something that said 60 years ago, and you would know what I meant. There's something about this process of reinterpreting the language, of reengaging the culture. So sometimes we think it's about leaving out the old folks, Right? But sometimes it's as much about youth, not understanding the old folks. One of my favorite things about a project, if you ever do any projects, is if, if you see something that you think is the dumbest thing you've ever seen done that way. Have you ever seen that? Well, this is the dumbest thing I've ever seen done. And you tear into it, make a big mess, and you go, oh, that's why they did it like that. We have no respect for those who come before us, right? Sometimes it is the dumbest thing, but sometimes... Somebody knew something ahead of us. Somebody knew something before we did. You see, we all get there sometimes. We all get to the place where nothing makes sense. And I know if everything makes sense right now, you're saying, not me. It all makes sense to me. But there'll come a time when nothing makes sense. 
And I would say in those times where we are lost, where we are confused, where we are left out, where we are, we are bewildered by the texts, God can begin to shape us back to himself. God can begin to bend us back his way. Because, like I said, there's a great big story. And while we might think we're reinventing it, we're not. Maybe retelling it. Retelling it. And so Acts has been this journey through bending, as I see it, as we wrap up today. And this is going to be our final time through. But I want to point something out to you, a couple of things. One of the next steps this week is to bend my giftedness back to God. And I would encourage you to be thinking about that. What gifts have you been given? Right? I'm not talking about spiritual high-minded gifts. What has God entrusted you with? And even if you don't believe in God, like some of the people in the text today, you've been given things, and you have to ask the question, what am I to do with that? And that becomes a big conversation about the big story. And you can begin to shape your life back towards a living God. You will find there peace, joy, hope, patience, all the blessings of the incarnate word. And I hope that you're taking that journey with us today. As we open the text today, I want to pray together. This is the way we get insight and wisdom, by asking God for it. So let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for this day. We, we know that there is no word of knowledge aside from you. There's no truth to be found unless you're in it. We love you and thank you for that revelation. We thank you that in all ways you're revealing yourselves to men, even to me, a sinner who is completely lost without your revelation. And today, Lord, we pray that we would have those circumcised hearts like Lydia, that we would be open to your word, that we would let you pour into us today, Lord, that we might reflect your glory, that our cup might overflow to others around us, Father God. But not for us, but for you be the glory. You are doing the work. We are but celebrants of the work you're doing, and we thank you today for that, Lord. We thank you that in all ways you're interpreting our lives and you're instructing us on in how we should go. Pray today, Lord, we sense of your spirit, present to each other, seeking the true God, the living God. Pray this in his holy name. Amen. So we're going to start here in the book of Acts today, Acts 17, right? And actually, we're going to finish here in the book of Acts. And this is a really interesting thing because of what's going on with Paul. And so I just want to start in 17.1. Give me one second, get my notes organized. And, um, or 17.16, I'm sorry, 17.16 is where we're going to start today. And if you have your Bible with you, you can crack it out. If you don't, there's one in the seats at the end of your rows. Just nudge your neighbor and say, hand me that Bible down there. It's on page 770 in those Bibles. So if you have one of those, grab it and, and flip it open. Be engaged with the text this morning. If you never read your Bible, read it now. It's a good time to do it. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see the city was full of idols. And I want to stop right here. So, you know, we talk about how we look at the word and what it means and what it says. And, and in the first sentence, as you start to reflect on the word, I know I've had an advantage on you, right? I'm not saying, but I've been, I've been dwelling on this. And, and uh, something that strikes me right away is while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, right? So something has happened. Remember, last week was Lydia's conversion, right? And then we, we jump ahead because we were doing a study of Acts and, and we're kind of in this whole new context. And so we have to ask is, well, what's that mean? Paul's waiting for who in Athens, so I want to back up for a second. I want to remind you, like I already have this morning, that Lydia's conversion happened in 16, right? And Lydia was a, a woman who was of high esteem, right? And, and she was down by the river praying, it would seem, when Paul showed up to sit and teach. And she received the word by the grace of God. That's how we all come. And then she responded to the word and invited Paul into her home. Now, we've missed a lot of the story, though, since then. Because in, in the following parts of 16... Paul has this amazing story of imprisonment where he goes, around and, and goes out and starts to proclaim the gospel and there's this woman who's a, who's a uh, fortune teller, literally, and she's saying the truth that Paul is uh, bringing the salvation of, of God, right? Uh, the most high God, and, but he rebukes her. And so it's this really interesting text and if you didn't cover it in your family group, I would encourage you to cover it individually, study it. It's really worth looking at. We don't have time this morning. Phenomenal story about how God moves in our lives and, and all the ways that Paul does the opposite thing that we would expect, maybe that I would expect of myself to do. So after he's out of prison and goes back to Lydia's house, then we come to 17.1. He's on to, uh, to um, Thessalonica, right? And there in Thessalonica, there's more preaching of Christ. And, and when, when Christ is proclaimed, when the gospel of Jesus is proclaimed, more Jews and God-fearing Gentiles, women, become transformed by the word. There's something that happens with the proclamation of the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ that you were changed forever by the encounter if you have eyes to see and ears to hear, as Jesus said. 
right? And so when Paul went into Thessalonica and he's preaching this, there becomes this transformation. And I want you to see that it's the same people groups. It started with a message to the Jews, you recall, right? That the Messiah had come, that Christ was among us. This was the word of the gospel. And then it had gone out to God-fearing Gentiles like Cornelius and Lydia, those who were already asking the hard question of who is the true God? They were seeking to worship him. They were praying to him. They, they wanted to know who this true God was. And God revealed himself to them. God be praised. And then we have this story of the women now. So there's this kind of three branches that continually be talk, gets talked about. Conversion of the Jews, the God-fearing Gentiles, and the women are transformed by the word. But what happens is when people begin to be transformed, the enemies of God start a riot. They start a riot against the gospel, right? And they seek to have Paul dragged out. But you'll look in verse 6 through 9 of chapter 17, and it says this guy Jason had welcomed Paul and his brothers into his house, and they were defying Caesar's decrees. They were all defying Caesar's decrees. Oh, I'm sorry, saying uh, that there is another king, one called Jesus. This is the, this is the uh, what they're saying is, is wrong with the gospel. They're proclaiming new kingship. And by the way, brothers and sisters, that's still the message being proclaimed today. Still the word today. There's a new king in town. If you don't believe me, just accept Christ. There's some new authority. There's some new answer. You know, there's a, there's a new guy with the buck stops in good and bad ways. And they believe this, and they're saying this is the, the true, but they're trying to make any riot against them just to get them. So in verse 8, when they heard this, the crowds and the city officials had, were thrown into turmoil, and they made Jason and the others post bond. And so Jason stood up. He was a stand-up guy. He wasn't going to sell out Paul or his brothers, and so he stood up to the crowds who were coming to riot because he had been taking them in. He wouldn't tell them where Paul and Timothy and Silas were, and so he was imprisoned for it, right? He's a good man, Jason. As soon as it was night in verse 10, the brothers sent Paul and Silas away to Berea. So you see, we still have Paul and Silas and Timothy going to Berea, right? Um, and they went to this Jewish synagogue. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to skip here a little bit because we got a lot to get through. But, uh, so Paul and Silas and Timothy go to Berea under the cover of night in verse 10. They kind of spirit them away. So they, 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 they protect them and they shove them away. I'm only missing this because it all feeds into the story because of verse 16. Do you see what I'm saying? What I'm trying to encourage you to do is if you were looking at the text and there's something you don't understand, ask the question of the text. Just ask it. Say, well, who is them? And then go back and start to read who the them is. Waiting for who? Why is Paul waiting? What's going on? Paul waits for nobody. Have you ever seen Paul wait for anybody? I mean, Paul's like, you know, he's always way out ahead of everybody, it seems. He waits for the Holy Spirit, we learned last week. Here he is waiting for them. Who are they? So they examined scriptures together in Berea. I want to read this to you in verse 11, right? Read this with you. Now the Bereans, who's heard of the Bereans before? You know, it's funny. Yeah, we, we, those who have been in church for a while have heard of the Bereans, right? They're known for this. The Bereans were more noble character than the Thessalonians. Why? Because they received the message with great eagerness and they examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. These were not easily turnable people. They were open to the living God, but not going to be dissuaded by any man, right? They're not going to be pushed aside from the path of God easily. And so instead of just taking Paul's word for it, who did that? Do you remember? When they came and they offered sacrifices, to Paul, they're like, yeah, you're God. And Paul's like, no. These guys are going to look at the text and say, okay, okay, I, I, God's revealing something through you, but let me look and see what it says. This is one of the best ways to engage with Scripture with someone that you don't agree with. If, if they're quoting scripture at you and they're saying this and that, you know, this is the way it is, whatever, one of the best things to do is say, let's just look at the passage together. Don't be afraid. Fear not, man. God is right there with you, revealing the truth of the word. Trust that. Do you have that faith in your relationship with God? Do you know that the Holy Spirit is there dwelling with you to, to show you the right course of action, to correct you when you're going the wrong way? I mean, I would encourage that kind of conversations to be happening. Don't, don't we do this all? I'd do it, right? I'll just pull something out of scripture. I think it says, well, look it up. Because I bet it says something that's maybe close. But you might be 100% right with what you think it says. The Bereans. This kind of comes that way through secondhand knowledge. Someone else said it before us. We knew they were about scripture. Every day they were looking to see if what Paul said was true. Look at what it says in verse 12, since we're there. Many of the Jews believed, here it is again, as well as a number of prominent Greek women and prominent Greek men. 
and they're articulating something there that both women and men are accepting the gospel of Jesus Christ. They're both responding to the word. Lydia becomes one who is following Jesus herself. And there's a great empowerment message here. And so I want you to hear it, that God is revealing his truth to all people. Something's being broken down and something new is being made. And so this is what we have, is the them, right? And uh, let's see, they examine scripture together and many believed. And enemies heard that Paul was preaching in Berea now. So the guys who went to Thessalonica hear that he's in Berea. And so Paul was... Sho uh, shoved ahead alone. They sent him ahead alone, right? They persuaded him to go on to the coast. Now, why do you go to the coast usually? Like if you're, I mean, I, I go to the coast, lay on the beach. Is that what you guys do too, right? But, but this is the idea of getting out of town, right? He's on his way out. There's trouble here. Get to a port city so you can catch a boat home, right? So they're going to send him out to escape. And they sent him out alone, which is interesting because he doesn't take his companions with him. If you look, it says right there, they immediately sent Paul to the coast, but Silas and Timothy stayed in Berea, right? And so these guys take Paul to Athens. Now, I don't know how Paul's feeling now, but you remember he was waiting for the discernment of the Holy Spirit. He's been going here and going there and doors are closed and doors are open. And then all of a sudden he's spirited away by himself. No companions anymore. It's just Paul. And you know what he says to these guys who travel with him? He says, send my brothers as soon as you can. I, I want them guys back. I don't want to be by myself. Send them along. And there's a commitment. We'll send them along. So here we go. Verse 16. Read with me. While Paul was waiting for them, that would be Timothy and Silas in Athens, right? He was expecting them to show up. He was waiting to receive them. He was greatly distressed to see the city was full of idols. And this becomes our first, and we're going to spend some time on the front end of this because it's really important what happens. Paul shows up in the city of Athens. This isn't necessarily his plan to be here. He's here by way of threat. He's been run out to this place. And in this moment, he shows up in the city, and he gets this pain. He gets this stirring in his soul. Because as he walks around and waits, he's looking around him. He's observing his environment. Have you ever done that? I, I've been in companies before. You ever show, go to have lunch with somebody, and you show up in the lobby? And you tell the, the people, you can't get past the guard at the front. You know, not really a guard or a secretary, but they, it feels that way. You can't, you're clearly not welcome to go back there where the magic happens. And so you stand in the lobby and you wait. And you know, you start to kind of look around. Now, if a company's done a good job of selling itself, you'll see a lot about the company in the lobby. There'll be lots of things to kind of engage with. You'll learn a lot about who they are, what they do, right? I've had this experience multiple times. It's the face of the company. And when Paul gets to Athens, he looks around. And all he sees everywhere he goes is false gods, idols, idols, idols. And that might sound like a judgmental way to say it, but you see, Paul's been communing with the living God. You know the problem with, with praying to a statue or dressing up something that you've made with your own hands? It works until you've met the living God. And then it doesn't work anymore because you know it's your little God. And it can't really do anything. It's the Old Testament story of false gods. And Paul knows it. And he knows even more the gospel of Jesus Christ, that God has proclaimed the truth over all these things. All these things are subject to him. He's king of kings, lord of lords. The charges against him are true. He is saying something about the new order of things if you are a follower of Jesus, right? And here in this place, the NIV says this. He was greatly distressed, but I think they've understated it. Because the Greek actually says um, his spirit was provoked from within. That's the interpretation, right? Paraxuno in pneuma, right? It was this sharp thing in his spirit, in Paul's spirit. There was something in his following of God that when he showed up, something wasn't right. You ever felt like you were on pins and needles? We talk about that board in the back of the head. God's saying, say it, say it. And we don't want to say it because we think people are going to think we're crazy. God is speaking. God is speaking. And so here's Paul. He's on pins and needles. He's being, he's being poked, right? There's another term that's culturally relevant now because of Facebook, right? But he's being kind of jided on. You know, go, go. And it's in his soul. He's going, Athens, what are you doing? And so while Paul's waiting, let's read on and see what he does with all this stimulation he's getting from God. I pray you are listening today to God's stimulation in your life. I pray you would hear it. Uh, let's see what happens here. 
16. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the God-fearing Greeks. Now, this is normal for Paul. He's in the synagogue and he teaches. Remember when he taught Lydia, he went to the river because there's no synagogue to teach in. He's, he's, he's going into the, the heart of Jewish culture first because he believes the message is always first to the Jews. They can reject it. Then it goes to the Gentiles and everyone else in the whole world. The salvation of Jesus is for you. You don't have to be circumcised. You don't have to be of a certain nation, right? And so he knows this. So he goes first to the synagogues, but there's something new happening in verse 17. And it says this. He reasoned with them in the synagogue with the Jews, right? That's a different story. And the God-fearing Greeks, because they're already there, as well as the marketplace every day with those who happen to be there. So Paul, he doesn't just go proclaim the gospel now in the synagogues where the great religious thinkers are. There's something about the city that when you paint it all over town, it's open to conversation, isn't that a great thing? And I can tell you that right now, I feel like our culture is open to a conversation about what really matters. Don't be afraid to have a real conversation. I tell you, whenever somebody's getting laid off from work, it's time to have a real conversation. When someone is going through some horrible loss, it's time for a real conversation because God speaks so profoundly there, we can't deceive ourselves anymore. We can't deny the truth that God is moving. If you don't believe me, I want to ask you a question. We talk about this kind of, these, 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 these experiences we have, right? There's this birth and there's this death. There's this physical birth and physical death. And, and many of us want to control our death these days, right? We want to say when we're going to go, how we're going to go, where we're going to go. Yes? This is an argument we're having. We have a right to this. Yes? I, I just want to ask a question. How did you choose to be born? How? How did you pick your family? I, I talked to a lot of people and say, I'd, I'd pick somebody else's. <laughs> Look at that family. <laughs> no. God spoke. Put you right where you are. We talk about this all the time. There's something that's instructive about our beginning that's instructive about our end. We, we, we begin and end at God's beck and call. God is telling a big story. So Paul comes in, he sees, he gets this, this, this thing, this soul, and he starts, to pro, he starts to go and teach, and not just in the synagogues, but also in the public square and the marketplace where people just happen to be. Isn't it a beautiful thing? You know, I've been looking at street preachers. Have you seen any street preachers lately? I'll tell you, well, I won't tell you who, but there's somebody I know, a great friend of mine, who wants to become a street preacher. I go, what are you thinking? How does that work? Stand on the corner with a, with a but there's something about it. It's in the public place of ideas. I don't know if that's the most effective way sometimes, down on the corner with a sandwich board screaming on top of a milk carton, right? Because you're kind of written off as a loony. But you know what? So were the prophets. Okay, God, God uses everybody. I'm not saying that. There's something about being in the marketplace of ideas where you are. When you're out, one of the things I miss the most about working full-time is being able to engage in the conversation in a real environment because sometimes they go, you got to say that. You're the pastor. Well, it's your job. Of course you believe. How could you not believe? Brothers and sisters, when I was out there living and dwelling with people who are hurting every day, the gospel could be proclaimed in a real way. You can do that. Jesus spoke. God spoke. And so in those places... Paul's out there working it in the streets. And whoever happens to be by, he, he's just preaching that whoever happens to show up, it totally means the idea of randomness here. Just they happen to be standing there, so they heard the word. Praise God. Praise God. Through the circumstances that he works through. So the city's filled with idols, and, and Paul starts to reason with them in the synagogue and the marketplace, right? And he's preaching, and look, look at, we're going to read on here in verse 18. I keep trying to go back and forth here. I apologize, but verse 18 says this. A group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to dispute with him. And the dispute word's a little harsh there because it means they begin to uh, um, ekbalo, I mean, or something. It's this idea of throwing this ekbalo, but it's this idea of throwing the, word, the ball back and forth. They begin to kind of engage because Stoics love this stuff, right? They're philosophers, right? They're, they're thinkers. They're, they're, nor, they're trying to seek the truth, right? But listen to what they say, and, and I love the text here. It says, um, they began to dispute with them. So they're kind of engaging with Paul in conversation. And some of them asked, what is this babbler trying to say? Now, I don't know if that's a good thing to be told when you're in the middle of a dispute with somebody or a conversation. What are you babbling about? <laughs> right? That's what they say. These guys have heard it all. Let's read on. So uh, they said this because Paul was preaching the gospel, the euangelion, the good news of Jesus and the resurrection. 
So they took him and they brought him to a meeting of the Areopagus, right? Where they uh, said to him, may we know what this new teaching is that you're presenting? And you are bringing some new strange ideas to our ears and we want to know what they mean. I can't help but notice the parallel there. How did this whole journey in Acts begin? Do we remember? This idea, well, the first was God gave us the keys for real and left. That Jesus just ascended and left us in charge, which is kind of ridiculous if you've seen what we've done with the place since he's been gone, right? I mean, it's kind of a mess sometimes, right? But, but the Holy Spirit is sent. Look what it says. We want to know what this means. It's the same question that was asked when they were speaking in tongues at Pentecost. When the Holy Spirit descended, what does this mean? They asked. The same question now is being asked here in the 17th chapter of Acts. So he's taken away by hand and led to the Areopagus, right? Which is the hill of Ares, right? It's this great meeting place. It's actually just a big, big stone outcropping is what it is, right? But it's also known as Mars Hill, which I thought was fascinating, so I just put it in there, right? And it's this place of engagement. It's this place where the, the ideas can be kind of threshed out on the stone, on the floor, you know? There's this idea that this is where if you've got a good idea... You're going to come here and talk about it. So I want you to see what happens with Paul here. As he comes kind of waiting for his ride, for his guys to show up. And God has a plan for Paul and takes him. He's proclaiming the truth. You know, if you were doing what God's calling you to do, he will put you places you need to be heard. Do you believe that? He will put you somewhere where, where someone needs to hear the gospel. And he drags him to this high rock where all the greatest ideas of the world are being threshed out on the floor. And this is where Paul stands and begins to proclaim the good news and the resurrection of Jesus. One of the next steps this week is to pray. Pray for an opportunity to engage. You know, if, you're, if, you, don't, if you don't want to talk to somebody about God because uh, I'll get it wrong or I won't know or this, that, just ask God. Because I can tell you, if God led you there, he'll lead you through it. If God opened the door, he'll lead you through it. So I'd just ask that maybe this week that's your next step. Just pray for that. God, give me an opportunity. You know, one of the books that got a lot of flack later on was, um, oh, now I'm going to forget it. It was the prayer book, the uh, Prayer of Jabez. Before I was a believer, I read Prayer of Jabez. I was, I was seeking God. And, and, and I started to pray that way, which is kind of crazy. Now, I have to admit, I kind of walked away from that. I started to pray more like, you know, like God's will, which is good too. It's the same thing. But, but there's this idea that, that, that there's this kind of asking for it. Lord, today, put someone on my path that I can share the gospel with. That's a dangerous prayer. Because you'll start to look around. You'll start to pay attention. Oh, wow, that person. You don't have to come off condescending like you know it all because you don't. <laughs> or I don't. And if you do, let me know. Because <laughs> then I'll start talking about that. Just bring what you know. Man, God changes things for folks, you know. All I know was I was lost and I was wrong. And God showed up, made it right. He can do it for you too. Hmm. I don't believe in it. Well, just ask the question. Is it possible? Is it possible you're missing it? Paul's response, he reasons with them. It's a dialogue, right? In Greek, it's this idea that he's engaging. Pray for that this week. If it is if what God's leading you to do, pray that he might lead you to someone this week just to talk about it. He begins to teach from the altar of the unknown God. Let's read on there, okay? And I, I keep losing my place, but I'm just going to pick it up here. So Paul stood at the meeting of the Areopagus, right? And um, oh, here, I'm going to back up to 21. All the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. So these people love the latest idea. And they're like, this, you're teaching some foreign, strange, Xenos, by the way, strangers, right? They're teaching us Xenos, this, this strange God we don't yet understand. Come and teach us about this God too. They're this, they weren't threatened by other cultures' gods. They would take them all. Bring us your God too, right? There's another, we'll make another stone statue and you can worship there, right? This is the way, the Greek way. And so Paul stood at the meeting of the Areopagus, right, and said, men of Athens, and look what he does here, I see in every way you are very religious. And the word very religious there has both good and bad connotations. Now, right now where we are sometimes in church and in society, it's a bad thing to be religious, right? We can all be spiritual, but we can't be religious, you know? But there's something about these forms that we've inherited that someone knew what they were doing. So let's not throw out the baby with the bathwater, as the saying goes, right? Let's, let's, have some, let's have some wisdom about what we choose to engage in and choose to leave behind. But this is what happens. 
is he goes in there and he says, you are very religious people, which means he's affirming them, but he's saying you're also missing it. The root word there kind of has to do with following demons, which is a stretch, because you go, okay, they go from having statues to demons, but it's this thing that would, anything that would take away from the glory and truth of the gospel, anything that would take away from the truth of Yahweh, the one who spoke and created the world, created you and everything in it. And here's what he says, you are very religious. I can tell Athens, I can tell how religious you are because in 23, for as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, those things you're worshiping, I even found an altar with an inscription to an unknown God. Now what you worship is something unknown I am going to tell you about. And this is a beautiful thing because they were so worried they would miss the true God that they made a statue to the God they don't know yet, right? This is, the, this is like the catch-all. This is the fire insurance one. This is the one and if you don't know what else to do, go talk to that guy. You know, the Greek here is agnostos. Agnostos theos. By the way, I want to say something about Greek studies too. You know, I say this stuff every week. I love the word. I love the Greek. I want to encourage you to do the same thing. If you feel inclined, there's a website, crosswalk.com. Now, it is not inherently easy to get there from the main page because it's kind of full of ads and craziness, but there is a way to use that as an amazing study tool, an amazing study tool. I do all my Greek studies at crosswalk.com, right? So if, you, if you're computer literate and you want to talk about that, I'd love to talk to you about how you can use that resource to, to increase your knowledge of Scripture, to, to go like the Bereans and see for yourself what the words say. It's very, it's very um, uh, true to the text in the, in the you can just journey on and on, deeper and deeper into the word. And that's where I do this. But listen to the word, agnostos theos. What does that sound like? Agnostic. Yeah. Isn't that beautiful for our time? Agnostics, right? We have a tendency to lump atheists and agnostics in the same category, but they're not the same thing at all, right? The unknown God, are those, it's got the idea, it has the idea of um, gnosko in it, the agnostos. They're not gnoscoing. They don't know. They're just admitting their own ignorance sometimes. Now, an atheist would be a proclaimer who would say, God is not. That's their whole conversation. God equals no. That's an a non-theistic view of the world. It's all just a bunch of stuff, carbon or whatever it is. You know, this, I, I get it, man. Science is beautiful. God's using science to reveal truth, what's going on in his world. But they, they make this crazy proclamation. And here I want to say something of this, that, that if you've ever had a conversation, that, see, I was an atheist for 17 years, so this is a hard issue for me to deal with because whenever I went to the living God, God told me I was wrong. Do you know why? Because God spoke. It's hard to deny someone who is speaking to you. And I repented. Why should I repent? Because I've been saying, God equals no. But looking at it now, it's a foolish place. Because even if you're an atheist, proclaiming atheist, isn't it possible that there's something you've missed? Isn't it possible that you don't know all the truth? No, you say. Not possible <laughs> right that's what i would have said <laughs> give me a break you know what that means that means you're god <laughs> so i should start worshiping you actually someone i know made up a, a religion after his own name because that's what he believes my own religion and you must worship me ridiculous so if it's possible you're an agnostic and that's a beautiful thing because then you're just asking questions you can be unthreatened in the conversation. Hey, just talk to me about it. I loved engagement. You know, even as a non-believer, I loved engagement. And you know what I found? No one would step up and really engage, really answer my concerns. And you know what I say, though? God's will. Because God had a plan. God let me be a fool for a long, long time before he just reached down and just tweaked my heart like Lydia. This is what Paul says, the unknown God. This one I'm going to proclaim to you now. And look what he does in verse 23. The God who made the world. This is the creator, Yahweh, right? Everything in it, he created everything. Now, he's using the term theos, not Yahweh, because they would have no, real, no understanding of that. But he's saying that the God who made the world, the very creator, the God above all gods, and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. Now, this is a problem because their city is full of what? 
temples built by human hands. They've been doing it wrong all this time. And this is what Paul's going to start to tell them here. He is not served, look at 25, he is not served by human's hands as if he needs anything because he gives all men life and breath and everything else. And isn't this funny? Because this is something we get wrong all the time. What do you do? I serve God. Oh, good. Because <laughs> he probably needed it. <laughs> Man, we serve the world. We serve the world on behalf of God. We come bringing this good news that we only have by his grace, but we don't bring anything. If you go to God with something, you say, look at what I brought. You know, I mean, I don't know if he appeases you, you know, like a magnet in the refrigerator. Look at that. That's good. But he's got this Picasso, you know, and he's just going, cool, look at what I'm doing. And you go, whoo, God, I forgot. He is moving and living and breathing among us. And he is not served by human hands because if we believe we're bringing something to God he does not yet have, we're saying that he is lacking and therefore not God. And so here it is. Look at this. So he says, from one man he made every nation of men, right, so that they should inhabit the whole earth and he determined the time set for them, there's a good word for us today, and the exact places they should live. You see right there, he just spoke them into existence. And God did this so that men would seek him my favorite, Zeteo, and perhaps reach out and find him, though he is not far from each one, right? So Paul's affirming and correcting here. For in him we live and move and have our being. God is everything. You are surrounded. You're breathing it. You're living it. Everything because of its relation to him. You know, there's something about creation that reveals God. And sometimes we get skittish. Oh, that's like pagan, right? That's the... But he created it. There's some shared thing. There's something about the universe and the glory of it that speaks to God. He created it. Spoke it into existence. Life, he says. Breath and everything else. God did this so that man would seek him and perhaps reach out and find him. And man, God be praised for agnostics who are looking for the truth, who are reaching out for the truth. I still seek truth. I reach out for God. And though he is not far from each of us, he says, because in him we move and have our being, as some of your own poets have said, and here he goes, we are all his offspring, right? And so this idea that they already know part of the story, that God's created them. Therefore, he says, because of that, since you are God's creation, since you are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by man's designs and skill, you see, because it's flawed. In the past, God overlooked the ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. This is a command that still stands today. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man that he has appointed. He has given proof of this, to everyone by raising this man from the dead. And that man is Jesus, right? Jesus the Christ. Jesus the anointed one. Jesus the one who was God in flesh. Jesus the one who walked among us and performed miracles. But more than that, disciple us. But more than that, went to Gethsemane and prayed a prayer that he bled. But more than that, broke bread with his disciples at the Last Supper. But more than that, hung on a tree and died. But more than that, for three days was dead. But more than that, because God raised him. And Paul is saying here, there's something about this resurrection that makes you scoff, that is your very salvation. There's something about this truth of the word that is about your very salvation, your very response, your very repentance. You cannot repent if you don't believe that God controls both the living and the dead. He controls all things for all time in all ways. And he has given this proof to everyone by raising him from the dead. And when they heard about the resurrection of the dead, look at this, some of them sneered. <laughs> and you'll get that. And fair enough. But others said, we want to hear you again. At that time, Paul left the council. Now look what it says. A few men became followers of Paul and believed. And he names them off there, right? But even a member of the Areopagus and a woman, a woman named Demarius and a number of others. There is enough truth in the gospel that if at least you're asking the questions, you can receive it. 
you understand? One of the things we talk about in our family group is, oh, I wish there was more information there. Did you ever, oh, I wish that gap was filled in. I wish that road was paved smooth. I wish there was that. My favorite ending of the bo- any books is, is the Gospel of John, right? Where he says, there is many more things to say, but I've written all these because it's enough that you would believe. And it's enough that you would believe. Listen for God. Listen for him all around you. There's something that has to happen. We believe in sin. We believe that there was something about God's perfect creation that we screwed up in Adam and Eve. And there's all kinds of finger pointing going on. But look here, brothers and sisters, God's redeeming everybody. Everybody, right? Women and men. Anyone who repent and believe, he's redeeming. There's this idea that there was this perfect, you know, I was, I was at, a, uh, I was at a, um, a retreat one time. And there was this pastor talking. And he talked about sin being, there's this rod that was in the ground. And it was stuck in the ground and it was perfectly true and straight. It was a beautiful rod. And, and men grabbed it and kind of just hanged on it. We did something. Something's happened to the rod. And it's, complete, it's just malformed now. It seems to be pointing the right way. When we follow it, it just breaks down. It's a dead-end street. And there's something that's bent, that's broken, that's wrong, and we call it sin. Hamartia means missing the mark. It means we're not perfect. And you know what we do when we accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior? If you don't know him, I'd invite you today to just accept him as your Savior if you're able. And that's a spirit gift. But if you're able today, it's no, it's no, it's no you know, props to me. It's no props to Family Bible Church because God is working in your life. But if you're able, you're saved. And you can have full confidence. But we talk about the book of Acts. What is it? The Acts of the Holy Spirit. The Acts of the Apostles. In those Acts, God takes that rod and begins to bend it back. And Paul does that here with the people in Athens. I see you're religious, but let me tell you about the true God. And that rod begins to bend back. Where are those places in your life that you need to be bent back towards God? You know, there's something about, I'm going to point out Sarah again here. There's something about just bending our gifts toward heaven. Have you ever seen how a plant grows? It just grows like this, just like that. There's something about this journey with Jesus that begins to straighten us out, warp us back. This is what Paul is doing. Isn't it a beautiful word, you know, that here he is alone waiting just to get out of town, and God does all this amazing stuff, all this stuff through Paul brings him to this high rock to proclaim the truth of the gospel. And then Paul begins to ask Athens. And a few of them respond, be bent back to the God you don't know. Know him. That's the invitation to say, know this God. Know the God who died on the cross for you. Know the God who took away your sin. Know the God who stands before you right now, professing, praying for you. The Bible says we've all fallen short of the glory of God. The verse here is, uh, the memory verse this week is Acts 17.25. I want to I close with a couple of ideas here. Um, but uh, uh, let's pray right quick, and, and then we'll just keep going here. Father God, we thank you for this word. We thank you for the truth found in that book of Acts. The whole journey, Lord, it's been a blessing. It's been an encouragement. It's been a challenge. Give you praise and glory, Lord. May we be shaped to your way. May we be molded to your will. May we be heaven-bent, Lord, bent towards Yahweh. God who speaks, we love you and thank you. We give you praise, glory from broken lips because of your Holy Spirit. You are a good God. Proclaim you by your power. We pray these things in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. We're going to have communion today.